Greetings, friends, lovers, Romans. That's how that saying well goes. Well-wishers. Well-wishers. Poor-wishers. So people who wish us poorly. Do you think there are people who hate us? Um, We probably don't have enough exposure for that. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean... <laughs> If they, if yes, they're not strangers. It's like maybe there's somebody that hates us from our our pre- regular lives and yeah. hate listens to the podcast. Oh well, I mean we appreciate the listen. Uh, yeah. This is of course Kill Streak. This is episode seventy seven. This is a big one. We're gonna get right into it because we're talking about one of the biggest horror franchises, horror movies of all time, mm. a real all timer. We're, of course, I mean, you've read the episode description. This is no surprise. We're talking Halloween. Shouldn't be. No. Unless you just cold listen to these in... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Shuffling. Just shuffling on the old uh, Apple podcast app. Yeah. I don't think you can even do that. <laughs> so Halloween, man, this is the one that started the slasher craze of the 80s, arguably. Yeah. I mean, there were slasher movies that could be argued before this, mm-hmm. but this is the one that made an industry out of it. Yeah, for sure. Way back in in the uh, olden days of 2020, when you and I covered the Friday the 13th franchise, uh-huh. one of the biggest slasher franchises there is, right, right off the bat in that first episode, we talked about how Sean Cunningham and produces that movie. We're just trying to... Get another Halloween going. Yeah. Basically, they saw how well this movie did, and they said, "Hey, we should uh, ride those coattails." Um. So, do you remember your first time seeing this movie? I do mine. I don't. It's a little too. This is similar to Friday the Thirteenth. Is a little too culturally pervasive. So, this is probably a movie where I saw bits and pieces many times before I sat down and watched the whole thing, and they were probably okay. edited for TV. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, For me, I know I rented this when I was like 14 over. It was myself, a girl. I was not. I guess maybe I was dating her. Now that I think about it. 14 year old dating. Yeah, Yeah. it was like 14 year old. It wasn't really like we I think we broke up within days of this. Yeah, you guys stopped at third base. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then my friend Eli and then another uh, girl that he was trying to get with and i think successfully did Stick because man, eli eli. <laughs> eli was much better looking than me okay and more successful with the ladies than me um and so yeah i was the one in charge we just we we're gonna rent a, a mm-hmm. horror movie yeah i of course had heard a lot about halloween sure. um and i picked this one out uh and i think this also happened when I rented Friday the 13th with another group of friends okay. trying to impress girls. I think I was the only one into it. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, yeah, I, let me paint. Let's see if I can paint the picture here. So it's like uh, people maybe holding hands, making out on the yeah, couch yeah. while you're like sitting on the floor 10 inches from the TV. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, well, this is really good, guys. Oh, my gosh. Holy and shit. Re- meanwhile, Eli is pulling a little uh, three-way <laughs> 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 with the girl you brought in his He's day. making yeah. out with his girl and grabbing my girl's boob. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, like, guys, keep it down. The theme song alone. Dig this synth score, you guys. <laughs> what? Oh, no. Um, so that was my intro to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, loved it and then added it to my VHS collection. I even had a, uh, a double VHS. I believe it was a double VHS. Mm. That was yellow. Oh, I'm sorry. Orange. 
that makes more tapes. sense. Tapes, yeah, yeah, not yeah. yellow. And it had like deleted scenes and shit on one of the tapes. Sure. Well, I mean, I a piece of trivia I learned this week was that there's a bunch of added footage that they shot during the production of Halloween 2 uh, because... What? Because they needed more runtime for TV airings. Oh. Because it's already a pretty short movie, and then when you yeah. cut out certain things for a TV edit, it's like it couldn't couldn't even get to the you know the length that you needed to fill a slot on tv so they actually shot like extra deleted scenes interesting that must be what it is that probably is what those are i remember one was dr loomis like addressing a team of do- of other doctors yeah. like pleading yes. not to have michael myers released yes that yeah. is from the halloween 2 additional footage that's so funny yeah it's interesting because this movie is very tame mm-hmm. by today's standards yeah what would you even i mean a handful of things maybe you cut out like Nudity. A couple of handfuls. Yeah. You know, hey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll happening right behind me when I was watching, but I just wasn't <laughs> paying attention. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple. There's a there's a real Eli in this movie. Mr. Bob. You're right? Yeah. Yeah. Another fun trivia fact. Bob uh, PJ Souls, who is who plays. What's her name? Uh, um. It's not Annie. It's the other one. Yeah. I it's Lori, Annie, and... Uh, I should I've seen this movie so many fucking I know, times. But, but I mean, they're I'm all... bad with names. They're, full, they're all fucking, you know, archetypes or whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Linda. Linda. Anyways, mm-hmm. Linda, portrayed by PJ Souls, at the time of production, was dating Dennis Quaid. Really? And he originally was going to play... Excuse me. Going to play Bob. Oh, interesting. And then, uh, you know, he had better stuff to do. So he didn't he didn't end up being in it, but he was for a while he was set and that would have been fun. I would have I would have liked to see the old DQ yeah. in here. Old DQ. Yeah. Love it. Um Quaid Man. <laughs> <laughs> a better a better podcasting comedian would make some sort of joke about cold ice cream and hard nipples or something like that, I think. But I guess so. I guess that's a better joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I was saying that me the who blizzard. Made no joke. Yeah. <laughs> I just said. DQ. I mean, I just, I just yeah. repeated DQ. Yeah, no, I mean, you also definitely didn't add anything. I did. That was that was a classic. Not even yes and. It was just a yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh huh. It's like mm-hmm. a Homer Simpson. Yes. Nod your head. <laughs> um. But yeah. Anyways, what did you what did you think back then? I'm very curious. I don't know how well you can remember. So I'll, I'll say this is just a, a quick a preface. First time ever in Killstreak history. This is a movie uh, Eric and I sat down. We watched together. Uh, yeah, that's right. And um, I'll say we did a terrible job at paying attention. We talked through the entirety sure. of the movie. It's also a movie we've both seen, seen a many, million many, many, times. Many, many, many yeah, times. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was fun to watch it with somebody. Um, but one thing I kept bringing up mm-hmm. to much to Mike's chagrin, who was trying to concentrate on the movie, and I kept blabbing. <laughs> Was like I really, really wonder what a modern day person seeing this for the first time would think about this. I also wonder, and that's kind of what I was going to get at. When I was like, I, "What? Yeah. What do you remember thinking of it the first time you watched?" I it? remember really, lo- I really like being into it. It okay. wasn't. I was expecting probably more, some more gore. Yeah, because I think like the the legend of 
the gore in this and also Friday the 13th that kind of precedes itself. Yeah. And, and there's not much gore at all. This no, is there's very... certainly more in Friday the 13th than there is here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, this is... Uh, like like we said, relatively tame in terms of blood violence shown on screen. Mm-hmm. It definitely has adult themes, and it's definitely like you know it goes for some good scares, but it yeah. isn't it isn't deriving those from gore, or special effects, or anything. Like no, that. but I think what really got to me, what really um, mm-hmm. appealed to me still to this day, yeah, is that it is a very creepy movie. Yeah. It's it's actually. One of the scarier movies that that we maybe have covered on the on sure. this podcast, um, and the thing that I still love, I've brought it up when we were talking mm-hmm. about like it it follows, um, just in conversation, yeah. not, not like we didn't do an mm-hmm. episode on it. Uh, there's something so cool and and creepy about seeing the killer in the background, yeah, like kind of just blending in, and you, if you blink, you miss it, mm-hmm. and that happens a few times, and it's like one of my favorite things that happens yeah. in this movie. Yeah, I wanted to get into into that too. I, I'll probably save my comments for after the break when we kind of get into the nitty gritty, sure, of the plot. But yeah, I think it is a scary movie, and 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 it's also to your point, it's. It's like creepy scary a lot of the time too. It's like off put it's unsettling. Yeah. Um, which can be super effective. And it's also the kind of thing that like it does set you up for more effective actual scares later on, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you get somebody out of their comfort zone and they're a lot easier to spook then. Yeah. Um it's a super uh it's a super low budget movie, relatively speaking. Um you know, for us at Kill Streak, it's probably more middle of the road because like half of the movies we cover are low budget movies. Yeah, um, I, th- I believe it had a budget somewhere in the neighborhood of three hundred thousand dollars. Okay, in nineteen seventy eight. Nineteen seventy eight. Yeah, so that's probably. I mean, I'm just gonna ballpark it here, but you're talking about like a million dollar movie maybe these yeah, days. Yeah, yeah. So it's not it's not what we would call ultra low budget, certainly. It's sort of teetering on the edge of low budget and very low end, moderately budgeted movies. Uh, kind of splitting hairs here, mm-hmm. but um, I mean, should we talk about John Carpenter a little bit? Because I feel like, yeah, let's talk about him. How do we talk? We can't talk about Halloween without talking about the man, the myth, the legend. Is this his third movie? So he's got yeah, Dark Star, uh-huh. Assault on Precinct Thirteen, and then this. And then he also. Song. He worked on some TV stuff, and he, oh, maybe Elvis was before this. I think Elvis is after this. Well, I mean, also Elvis is a TV movie. So yeah, yeah, for yeah. feature films, this is his third directing gig on a feature film. Uh, he also worked on Eyes of Laura Mars, but that was as a writer, so. right? So yeah, he's uh, we we talked about him uh, a lot last year during. Yeah, John Carpentober. John, I almost said John Carpentember. <laughs> well, you said that a couple times during John Carpentober. I don't know why. <laughs> I'm an idiot. Um, but you know, famously, one of our favorite filmmakers here on the podcast. Um, he uh, was a USC dropout, not even graduate, but USC film school. He dropped out to finish. What had been a short film and became a feature, Dark Star. Dark Star. Uh, working hand in hand with Dan O'Bannon. Yeah, we've talked kicked about this a lot. Whole thing off with Return of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, he he was a guy who loved. I mean, his influences he's worn on his sleeve his whole career. 
two of them are in this movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Literally, they appear on a TV in this film. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, so basically, he grew up loving uh, westerns and, you know, 50s sci-fi stuff. So yeah. the thing from Another World, which we get to see some footage from. We get to see the opening title shot, which he almost... Uh, directly reproduced for his later uh, remake of the thing. Yeah. Uh, Forbidden Planet. And uh, and then, yeah, Westerns, which I don't... I mean, this is this is one of the lesser Western-influenced movies in his oeuvre. Yeah. But I think even still, there are sort of... Like, you can... You can still sort of... There's an economy in the way that he does everything. Yes, and there's something to be said, too, of the look of Michael Myers that mm-hmm. kind of communicates very quickly that he's a bad guy, kind of like in the black hat, white hat kind of way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, you know, Carpenter's a guy who is famous for making movies that people like to use adjectives like lean, uh, straightforward. Um, you know, a lot of the times it's kind of euphemistic. There are things that in somebody else's hands... Could also sort could almost sound like a backhanded compliment, yeah. right? Like he, like he's not doing all that much. But I think, I mean, I think that's very much not the case. Um, and I assume you would agree with that. Yeah, I mean, it's this is a lean movie. It is straightforward. It's very, very straightforward. Yeah. Um, and that's also one of the reasons why I'm like curious about like what a modern yeah. day viewer seeing it for the first time would think. It, if if you are that person, right. let us know. Well, I mean, maybe I'm being overly optimistic, but I believe that this is the kind of movie, and I think he's the kind of filmmaker, and this is sort of borne out by the way a lot of his movies flop and then find a second life. Uh, they age well because mm-hmm. the sort of minimalism that he practices in filmmaking it gives you, it, 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 there's a lot fewer things that can, you know, age yeah. poorly. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, his his lighting is super low-key, straightforward. Uh, the photography, I mean, he's like the opposite of, w- w- I, you and I were talking about, and also I mentioned on the podcast a little bit last week, De Palma. Right? Yes. He's like the anti-De Palma with the camera. Nothing's flashy. Yeah. He likes a steady cam. He yeah. like and which he used a ton of on this movie for the first time. That was a relatively underused, newish kind of bit of technology. So instead of the big dolly shots and stuff that would cost a ton of money right. to do, just run that steady cam out there. A lot of static shots and stuff like that. Um, we got to talk about his scores. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. we we'll, will later we'll also. There. But uh, I mean, obviously, a guy famously composed most of his his scores originals uh, on a synthesizer. I mean, he just brings so much to a movie. He puts his stamp on it. You know. Um, I was going to uh, when it you're talking about how um it it ages well. Yeah. You know, obviously, there's things like the. The wardrobe, which no matter, sure. well, yeah, that's always gonna, yeah. going to age poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's so little in here that like is feels dated in terms of like what you're seeing on camera. It look, it looks great. Yeah, it sounds great. I mean, some of the li- some of the dialogue is a little like you know, right? Like we were kind of laughing at some things here and there, but <laughs> that's yeah. going to happen no matter what. But I mean, I also think like a lot of the things that are like sort of feel like they've aged a bit. I think they would be 
the same if you were to make a modern day period piece that took place in 1978. You yeah, know? yeah. You look at like uh, House of the Devil or something, right? Like that's if- yeah. You try to do this. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what you aim for. Um, so, I, 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 is there anything else generally you wanted to say? I mean, obviously, we'll talk about the plot later. We'll talk about the acting and all that stuff. But before we go into kind of production of the movie and, and the major players and that sort of thing. No, let's get into it. Okay. So um, this is a movie that was, I mean, at least the genesis of the idea, the title and all of that came from the production side of things. So there is a guy, uh, I'm going to take a stab at his name, but it's Erwin uh, Yablins or Yablins. Okay. Like, I'm going to go with Yablins because it rhymes with goblins. Goblins, yeah. Yeah. Y-A-B-L-A-N-S. So he was a producer who um, helped distribute Assault on Precinct 13. He wasn't involved in the making of the movie. Mm -hmm. But I believe he got it into some foreign markets and stuff. Along with a financier whose name will come up throughout the series, Mustafa Akkad. Yeah. Um, These guys are essentially the money behind this and they approached carpenter with a concept that was originally called the babysitter murders right and the idea was pretty much self-explanatory it was it was just like yeah guys going around often babysitters which i'll be honest it was a pretty good pretty good pitch yeah for a horror pitch, movie. yeah yeah like if especially as you know assuming that that didn't already exist i'm like yeah that's a good idea yeah <laughs> uh, it's it's so it's frustrating now we're like all the good, simple <laughs> premises feel taken. You know? Yeah, they're they're all. But I mean, I think we've also be, we've been around long enough that I think we're getting to that point where now you can just redo a whole premise, and as long as it's not direct IP or an adaptation, yes, it yes. still feels like you've done something unique. Yeah, I think so. You know. Also, they've done us a favor by just really saturating the market with nothing but remakes and reboots oh and God, adaptations. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they go to Carpenter. They say, "Hey, we want to do." Uh, the babysitter murders and you know we liked what you did on assaults on precinct 13 is that a thing that you would want to be involved in and he said essentially yes but i want to be completely in in control of the whole thing Mm -hmm. and you know they worked out a deal where he took a really small paycheck and he got 10 percent in points on the movie and that must have done very well for him i think it probably continues to do pretty well for him (laughs) um yeah, so for all his moaning and groaning, groaning about Hollywood, you know, fucking him over, which, you know, he's got a lot of points, but I think financially he's probably done fine. Yeah. Um, they were down. They said, yeah, yeah, go for it. Um, and then uh, Yoblins, again, coming through in the clutch, comes to him with a secondary sort of pitch, still for the same movie, but he's like, hey, what if we did it on Halloween and called it Halloween? <laughs> Because uh, nobody's done like a Halloween horror movie, which totally true, crazy to think about. Yeah, it seems like not, by such 19, a layup. Yeah, by 1978, that's a no-brainer. Hadn't happened. Nobody had had at least in the major market broken through with a Halloween movie. Is that a, an ice cream truck? Yeah, that's fucking creepy. It's, it's nine o'clock it's at night. Nine o'clock at night. Okay, <laughs> it's dark outside. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then th- this also just started like Friday the 13th, Valentine's Day. Yeah. 
you know, mm-hmm. all those Christmas horror movies. Yeah, Love Actually. Love Actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> April Fool's Day. Was, yeah, what is, is that it? what Gary Martin? Yeah, 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 New Year's Day. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyways. And again, I was We're going to be covering the Gary Marshall holiday uh, <laughs> trilogy. Can't I think wait. there's three of them. Sure. Probably. We could, if we run out, we could do uh, He's Just Not That Into You. We can sure. throw that in there, too. Let's just do a Gary Marshall podcast. And get Paul F. Tompkins to do the, come in <laughs> and do the voice. <laughs> oh, please. I wish you would grace us with, a, That'd with be his cool. presence. PFT, if you're out there, we'd love to have you on. Let us know. You want to cover a yeah. movie? Any movie? Yeah. We will stop in the middle of the Halloween series and yeah, do whatever, do whatever you, you want. want. <laughs> <laughs> Same goes for if you are famous comedian and host a podcast besides joe rogan go fuck yourself but everybody else <laughs> everybody else wow good. taking swings at joe rogan over here yeah well i mean if they come for us you know the rogan w- there's gonna be a name that's for true them, right roganites roganites rogan's sure. ro- ro- rogan and minoxidil <laughs> minoxidil minoxidil yeah minoxidil okay yeah uh anyways uh so Carpenter starts working on a script with his, at the time, girlfriend, Deborah Hill, uh, who is also someone whose name will be attached to uh, at least the first couple movies in Mm -hmm. this series. Um, So she's a co-writer and has a, I mean, she had a million jobs on this movie, as did a lot of people. But I think... uh, I don't know what her actual credits are. I think she's a producer as well on this. Yeah. 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 But uh, so the two of them start working on a script together. So something important to remember. I, I feel like that's not something that immediately comes to mind when you talk about Halloween. But she's a co-writer on this. Yep. And as a young, relatively young woman at the time, she pretty much handled writing all the dialogue for the girls in the movie. And then Carpenter wrote you know, all the old uh, men, the, all the old, yeah, the sheriff and, <laughs> yeah, uh, Donald and Pleasant yeah, and Dr. Too. Loomis and all his insanely long monologues. <laughs> yeah. And it tracks, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, and the script that they put together, um, there's a lot of inspiration. This is a movie. I don't know if you were directly alluding to this movie earlier, but we should mention Bob Clark's black Christmas. Yes. Um, which, like you sort of said, there were movies that came before this in terms of the slasher genre and, and, and even sort of like the POV type stuff. And I would say that Black Christmas is a pretty big influence here. And that's something that's been acknowledged by Carpenter. And that's something that Bob Clark has talked about in interviews that they did talk about Black Christmas while he was writing this movie. Oh, interesting. But he's also said like, hey, nobody owes me anything. Like it's, you know, he wrote an original movie. It's just like, yeah, yeah it's he, the premise of setting a movie on a ho- on a holiday right. is not enough to yeah and it doesn't seem like to be clear i don't believe there's any animosity there i think sometimes interviewers and press people try to stir something up and i think both of them are like yeah we talked about it and there was there was definitely some inspiration taken now was at this point was the idea to make it an anthology uh series like broached or I don't it? believe so okay. now it's probably I'm, later I'm yes I'm kind of speaking <laughs> I'm just you know free on it here yeah. but well you are you're wearing shorts and I'm sitting across from you hey. um <laughs> so just based on what is is rattling around in my brain right now I think the deal was no plans for a sequel no plans for anything just hey let's make this movie 
Then it does really well, and they come back to Carpenter, and they say, hey, we want to make a sequel. And he goes, well, let's do an anthology thing, because I don't want to make the same movie sure, again. Sure, sure. And essentially, they're like, no, no, we got to make another sequel. So they do Halloween 2, and then for Halloween 3, he finally gets to flex the muscle and say, now we're doing now the we're anthology doing thing. It. But then it was too late, yeah. uh, and the audience has rejected it. But we will cover that next week and the week after. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so fast screenplay, fast turnaround. I mean, it's funny how much writers will bang their heads against the wall for months or even a year plus to write a script. And then you just hear it's like, oh, yeah, they wrote this in 10 days. Uh, Infuriating. You know, John Hughes used to write all his scripts in a week. Yeah. Sometimes in a weekend. Um, That's in. It makes me so mad. Yeah. Just that I can't do that. Right. Well, and the thing is, is it's all, you know, it's it's just some sort of gift, sickness, whatever it is, because. Yeah, I mean, you know, a 90-minute movie, to actually write all the words in a script, you could do that in a weekend. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be worth a shit? No. That's the next draft is for. That's my <laughs> advice to young writers. Yeah. Just get a first draft out. That's all. That's the mm-hmm. most important thing. It's the hardest thing. And then don't worry about it being good until after that. Yeah, just finish stuff. Just finish it. That's. I am so cursed. I can never finish, finish anything. I've... I'm a non-starter. That's my problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like... I talk myself out of things. Mm-hmm. Like, no, it's... Um, yeah, what's the point? That's never going to be I'm just anywhere. some dumb cook. <laughs> that's no, me talking about That's myself. neither here nor there. I yeah, mean, it's separate. Unrelated to your uh, That's all. Uh, but no, I mean, it is related to the fact that I can never finish. That's... <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. At least not without a bull around. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the... Carpenter, the producers, everybody, you know, they go back at the, when, they, when they reflect on this and they talk about it. I just love it. I love Carpenter. And he's a, he's a great interview. He is a he's a no bullshit kind of guy. Yeah, he'll just say whatever he's thinking. Yeah. <laughs> he will burn a bridge. He will shit all over somebody. I love it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he and the producers and everybody is like, yeah, we were not. They weren't trying to make high art here. It, I mean, he calls it a crass exploitation film. Uh, you know, uh, Erwin Yablins wanted it to be like he was like, there needs to be a jump scare every 10 minutes. And, you know, it's just like, yeah, they yeah. were trying to make a scary movie. Yeah. But the thing is, is it's like, to me, at least when you succeed at that stuff, when you set out to do something straightforward and simple and you do it well, you can still make something great. Yeah. When you have enough talent behind it, mm-hmm. that's not like you could have made this movie and have it be much, much worse in the hands of a worse director yeah, and worse actors, which we should get into soon. Yeah. Let's talk about the actors. So leading the cast, Jamie Lee Curtis, who was uh, a relative nobody other than being, you know, Tony Curtis. Yeah. Tony Curtis and Janet Lee's daughter. Yeah. Right. So, uh, it is, it is amazing. I just have to pause for a second and it's just, it is funny that, you know, the way the conversation around nepotism specifically in Hollywood has shifted just in the last couple of years. And then, and, and people, myself included, rightfully are like, yeah, maybe that's not great all the time. Like, and you know, it doesn't have to be a rule that famous people's kids can't work in Hollywood, but, right. but maybe you know, we should try to make sure that other people are getting opportunities at an equal, if not greater clip. And then it's like, you go back. And I remember when I was growing up and learning about movies, it was always like, cool. 
you were like, oh, that's so cool. It's like a cool trivia fact that that's yeah, so-and-so's yeah. daughter or son. And then as an adult, you're like, yeah, that's fucked up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there it, it, it's beyond just famous people's kids. It's also rich people's kids. Like, yeah. There's something, there's, there's a luxury that is afforded to wealthy people who grew up wealthy to pursue their dreams right. in a really... In, regardless of how t- they're actually very like someone like Nick Kroll I think about a lot because mm-hmm. his dad's like a literal a billionaire, billionaire. Yeah. and like you would I mean I don't know him personally but he's so fucking funny that right. it's like oh yeah I mean he deserves to be famous right and he's probably this funny because he could dedicate himself to the pursuit of yeah his craft for so long without having to worry about well, absolutely I mean acting is the same way where it's just yeah. like to succeed as an actor you basically need to be available to audition for things at all times. Yeah. Uh, so it's best if you don't have a job. And then, you know, you take, take classes. classes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly yeah. And it's just like, yeah, you you have the luxury to to fail, to keep trying, to not have to ha- make ends meet and keep things on a back burner. Anyways, we love Jamie Lee Curtis. She's great. Oh, she's great. Yeah. She's also, you know... The, the daughter of two very famous people. Yeah. Um, Although I wonder now, I mean, her her fame has eclipsed theirs, I would say. Like, Janet I mean, Lee is in, in one in of the most generation. iconic films of all time. Yeah. Tony Curtis also, like, likewise. But, yeah, for... Uh, I, they, I wonder if you were to stack their IMDb credits against each other, I wonder who is sure. more. Well, I mean, I think it's also generational, too, right? It's like if yeah. you ask our grandparents if they were still alive or, you know, the ones that are, uh, you know, they're probably going to know Tony Curtis better than sure, Jamie, Jamie Lee, Lee Curtis. Curtis but, yeah. but, yeah, I think if you try to put it on balance, you're probably right. I mean, she's a big-time star, for sure. And it's uh, very cool that she's st- stuck around in the Scream Queen world for a bit. Yeah. You know, it's it, like I'm sure it was just like a matter of like the parts she was getting, mm-hmm. but it's fun. It's fun that like this respected act actor yeah. now like started in the basement in some yeah. ways. I mean, this is a great movie to, to <laughs> right. cut your teeth on, but you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but this is, you know, this is not uh, she'll be back multiple times over the course of this series. She'll work with Carpenter again in the fog uh, a few years after this. Um rounding out the cast Donald Pleasance is sort of the heavy hitter uh, playing Dr. Loomis. There's a role they originally wanted. Uh, who was it? It was another famous English guy for. Um, like Alec Guinness or something? No, it wasn't no. Alec Guinness. It was, I think, Peter Cushing. Oh, okay. They wanted Peter Cushing. They tried Christopher Lee. Both of them, it was not enough money. Uh, and so they ended up going with Pleasance, which, cute trivia bit from Wikipedia. Don't know how good the source is, but I'll repeat it. Pleasant supposedly took the role because his daughter, who was a guitarist, really liked the score of Assault on Precinct 13. Wow. Yeah. So Pleasant's what was like, I mean, because he is my like, I this is the role I think of him in. What was he big for? I'm, I'm looking at his I'm looking at his uh, his. Yeah, IMDb. I'm checking out his creds. I guess like the greatest. He's in The Great Escape. I mean, it's all like older movies. The Great Escape that, like, is the only thing I know. And Blofeld. He's in, he plays Blofeld in, um, it's one of the early, I think it's one of the early Connery Bond movies. Oh, okay. Um, one of the first two or three, maybe. But I mean, cer- certainly like was working a ton before, but he's in like that, that uh, 
in my mind, I might be wrong mm-hmm. in that like once upon a time in Hollywood kind of movie, like like Rick Dalton would be in a movie with yeah. Jonathan Pleasant's kind yeah, of Yeah, I mean he was a work he was a working actor. Yeah, he wasn't a leading man, I don't think. Yeah. Um character actor. Yeah. But anyways, he's very British. He's got a great accent. Uh uses it to great effect here. Um other ladies in the cast, PJ Souls, we talked about a little bit up top. Uh, people might know her from Carrie. Uh, and then Nancy Loomis, or sometimes Keys, uh, who was in Assault on Precinct 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, she ends up, actually, she ended up marrying, I think at the time she was dating, Tommy Lee Wallace, who was the art director for this movie. And uh, uh, a guy who I think, if my memory serves, went to, or was it Castle? I think Castle, I think that Castle went to school with Carpenter. But anyways, Tommy Lee Wallace and Carpenter, good friends. Uh, they liked, they worked together a lot. I think he was, he started working with Carpenter on Dark Star. And mm. anyways, he goes on to direct part uh, three, part three. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So. Anyways, Nancy Loomis, uh, and then lastly, I just I just mentioned his name, but Nick Castle, who was a classmate of Carpenter's uh, at USC as the shape, except for the one scene where he takes his face off, mm. and that was then he was played by Nick Moran, who is the brother of Aaron Moran, uh, Joni from Joni Loves Chacha. Oh, so there you go. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but yeah, so he's a guy who uh, became a director in his own right later on. Uh, no, best known for the Last Starfighter, uh, Major Pain with Damon Wayans. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> uh, he directed Dennis the Menace with Walter Matthau. So. Wow. Yeah. Anyways, um, yeah. So that's cast uh, filming. Let's talk a little bit about that mm-hmm. so today. On my way over. To the house. Yeah. I drove right through the major filming locations for this film. Uh, I took a picture of myself in front of the uh, in front of the Myers house. I saw that. We're going to post it on our Instagram. Yeah. But this was predominantly shot in and around South Pasadena, mm-hmm. um, which is what, 10 minutes from here? Yeah, it's like 10 minutes from here. Yeah. Right? It's about, it's pretty much the halfway point between my house and your house. Yeah. Um, so that's just east of, of, of Los Angeles in the San Gabriel Valley. A very quaint little area has like a, a where the Michael Myers house is. Mm-hmm. There's like a train track yeah. there and like these really like beautiful storefronts that very, yeah. like scream small town America. It's a great place to fake Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, also Step Brothers. I was telling Mike <laughs> the scene in Step Brothers where they get off the train and they're made to lick a white turd is <laughs> shot in South Pass. <laughs> Same intersection. Yeah, mere a hundred or a couple hundred feet from the Myers house. Um, but yeah, and and you know there are there are some pretty famous stories about the production of this movie. I'm not gonna go into detail on most of them. We're just kind of doing a bird's eye view of everything because. This is a movie that's so famous that there's, you know, there's books about this. Like, you could read. Yeah. You could read and, and listen. A couple of. Th- watch forever. A couple of things I wanted to touch yeah, on. please do. Was that it was shot very quickly. Mm-hmm. On like 22 days, I believe. Sounds about right. And um, a funny thing, if you're watching it, if you've never noticed, 
There are some palm trees in the background. Yeah. All the leaves are green. Yeah. But then the ones on the ground, they just spray paint. Like they, they spray, spray painted, painted them all brown. Yeah. And so they had like an <laughs> army of PAs who would drop leaves all over the ground where the, in the shot and then have to go pick them up and move them to the next shot. Yeah. Anytime you see leaves moving across the screen, there's someone off screen throwing leaves into a fan so you know, fun. to make it look like fall. Uh, but I got to say, I mean, looks pretty good. does. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think it was until, you know, after many, many viewings that it occurred to me that this was not shot in the Midwest. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's uh, it, it's a it may not surprise people to hear that. That neighborhood now is uh, impossible to purchase a house in oh, unless yeah, you are yeah. incredibly wealthy. Mm-hmm. So, one time, uh, we were my wife and son and I were going to a brunch place uh, right near the video store that we were mm-hmm. talking about last episode. That's near the Michael Myers house, and we walked by a uh, a house that kind of looked like a hoarder's house a little bit. Okay, and there was an ambulance out front. We're like, uh oh. Uh-huh. So hopefully everybody's okay. And then when we were coming back from br- brunch, they were bringing out a body on a gurney. <laughs> so maybe it was Michael Myers. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he's still around. Cool. There first time, there first time a... your son saw a dead body, yep, though. Yep, right? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they were covered. The body was covered. That, but... Yeah, that's. I assume that's good. I'm yeah, glad. Yeah. Um, the, the one other thing, uh, there's two other things I wanted to touch on. Um, Three, technically, but one of them is the score, which, for yeah. for reasons that will become clear, we are going to wait until we talk about in detail. Um, but the other things, one, uh, a pretty classic piece of trivia that I, I, I don't think we can go without mentioning, the Michael Myers mask. Yeah, yeah. What? So, I mean, I assume that you're pretty well versed in the history of this, yeah? Yeah. Uh, yes, I I can't remember how it got selected. I know what it is. I think it, it was just uh, it was uh, Tommy Lee Wallace, the art director. Uh, went to uh, you know ho- went into Hollywood and went to a costume shop. Started looking around for a mask. Hey, what what's weird? What's scary? And what does he settle on? A mask of William Shatner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> William Shatner Star Trek mask. Yeah. And, and so they, um, he cut the eye holes bigger and painted it kind of bluish white, added a weird wig, and and that's how you get the the v- perhaps would we would we say is this top five most famous oh. Halloween masks? I mean, I would say maybe in the top three, yeah, top two, yeah, yeah. It's it's so cool. It's it's really like. It couldn't be anything else in the movie. Like mm-hmm. the movie wouldn't work as well if it was anything else. If it was like yeah. a clown or something, mm-hmm. like, that. It's like I just it could be scary, but there's just uh, the simplicity of it. Yeah, and that's really sort of uh, it's it's uh, representative of the whole film. Yes. That is is simple and effective, and what all he really wears is like a, it's almost like a mechanics. Yeah, like coveralls. Coveralls, right? Because doesn't he, he he gets them from the tow truck driver, yes. right? That, yep. Um, that we do see dead in the bushes briefly, and yeah, it's just mechanics coveralls and a weird mask, and that's all you need. A butcher knife. Yes, it's a cheap Very ass Halloween costume. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and the last thing I wanted to talk about, I'm just going to take this verbatim from the Wikipedia uh, because I didn't know this, and it blew my mind because of our podcast, and it I think it makes us look kind of like fools. 
but it's also a cool bit of synchronicity. Okay. So here goes. Carpenter worked with the cast to create the desired effect of terror and suspense. According to Curtis, Carpenter created a fear meter because the film was shot out of sequence and she was not sure what her character's level of terror should be in certain scenes. Here's about a seven, here's about a six, and the scene we're going to shoot tonight is about a nine and a half, remembered Curtis. She had different facial expressions and scream volumes for each level on the meter. So there you go. That's the new name, the fear meter. We, yeah, which for a year we called the carpenter, carpenter scale. scale. Yeah. It should have been the carpenter fear meter. Yep. Really should have. Yeah. We're bad at our job. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and another note from this same paragraph that I just think is interesting and maybe a good place to leave it is we're talking about just what makes this movie work. But when he was directing uh, Nick Castle in the role of Michael Myers, or they frequently refer to him uh, in, you know, interviews and in the credits as the shape. shape. Uh, When Castle asked what his motivation should be for a particular scene, Carpenter replied that his motivation was to walk from one mark to the other and (laughs) not act. (laughs) Which has a really successful effect in the movie. By Carpenter's account, the only direction he gave Castle was during the murder sequence of Bob, in which he told him to tilt his head and examine the corpse as if it were a collection of butterflies. Wow, that's yeah. a really cool direct like yeah. uh, note. Yeah, that's what he does. He yeah, tilts Looks his like head like a dog. Side. Yeah, um, I, that sounds very John Huston-y, which is like one of his <laughs> one of his heroes. Idols, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. absolutely. All right, well. Uh, big shocks ahead as Eric and I talk about our gut checks for this movie. (laughs) (laughs) It's a stinking piece of shit. We'll be right back. Halloween night. A small American town. 15 years ago. trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. I think he'll come back. Exploring uncharted territory. And totally charted. Just talk. Sure, sure. The only reason she babysits is to have a
Okay. On Halloween night, 1963, in the fictional town of Haddonfield, Illinois, six-year-old Michael Myers inexplicably stabs his teenage sister Judith to death with a kitchen knife. For the next 15 years, he's incarcerated at Smith's Grove Sanitarium. On October 30th, 1978, Michael's psychiatrist, Dr. Samuel Loomis, and his colleague, Marion Chambers, arrive at the sanitarium to escort Michael to court for a hearing. Loomis hopes the outcome of the hearing is that Michael will never be released from Smith's Grove. However, Michael steals their car and escapes Smith's Grove, killing a mechanic for his coveralls on the way back to Haddonfield. Upon returning home, Michael steals a white and expressionless mask from a hardware store. On Halloween, he sees high school students Laurie Strode, sorry, high school student Laurie Strode drop off a key at the long abandoned Myers house that her father is trying to sell. Laurie notices Michael stalking her throughout the day, but her friends Annie Brackett and Linda Vanderklok <laughs> dismiss her concerns. Loomis arrives in Haddonfield in search of Michael and finds Judith's tombstone missing from the local cemetery. He meets with Annie's father, Sheriff Lee Brackett, and they investigate Michael's house, where Loomis tells Brackett that Michael is pure evil. He's pure evil. I can't do it. I was trying to. Brackett is doubtful of the danger, but goes to the patrol, goes to patrol the streets, while Loomis waits at the house, expecting Michael to return. That night, Lori babysits Tommy Doyle, while Annie babysits Lindsay Wallace across the street. Michael follows him, spying on Annie and killing the Wallace's dog. Tommy sees Michael from the window and thinks he's the boogeyman, but Lori does not believe him. Annie later takes Lindsay over to the Doyle house to spend the night so she can pick up her boyfriend, Paul. When she gets into her car, Michael appears from the back seat, strangling her and slitting her throat. Soon after, Linda and her boyfriend, Bob Sims, arrive at the Wallace house and find it empty. After having sex, Bob goes downstairs to get a beer, where Michael pins him to the wall with a kitchen knife. Michael then poses Bob, sorry, Michael then poses as Bob in a ghost costume and confronts Linda, who teases him to no effect. Annoyed, she calls Lori to find out what happened to Annie. Michael proceeds to strangle Linda with a phone cord while Lori listens on the other end, thinking it's a joke. He thinks it's an obscene phone call. Yeah, that's right. Uh, meanwhile, Loomis discovers the stolen car and begins searching the streets. Suspicious of the phone call, Lori goes to the Wallace house across the street and finds her friend's body, as well as Judith's headstone, uh, in the upstairs bedroom. She flees to the hallway in terror, where Michael suddenly appears in the dark and slashes her arm, causing her to fall over the stairway banister. A lot of, ban- a lot of falling over banisters in the movies we cover. Yeah, I mean, they're a real tripping hazard. They are dangerous. Um, injured, but injured, she narrowly escapes and runs back to the Doyle house, but lost the keys to the front door when she fell on the staircase. Tommy lets her in. Then she orders him and Lindsay to hide, only to find the phone is dead. Michael sneaks in through the window and attacks her again, but she incapacitates him by stabbing him in the neck with a knitting needle. Thinking he's dead, Lori staggers upstairs to check on the kids, but is shocked to see Michael alive. 
She tells the kids to hide in the bathroom while Lori hides in the bedroom closet. But Michael finds her and breaks in, so she stabs him in the eye with a coat hanger and in the chest with his own knife. She then tells Tommy and Lindsay to go down the street to a neighbor's house and call the police. After they leave, Michael awakens once again and slowly approaches an unsuspecting Lori. Loomis sees the kids running from the house and goes to investigate, finding Michael and Lori fighting upstairs. Lori rips Michael's mask off, making him hesitate to put it back on. Loomis shoots Michael six times, knocking him off the balcony. Lori asks Loomis if Michael was the boogeyman, which Loomis confirms. Loomis walks to the balcony and looks down to see that Michael has vanished. Unsurprised, he stares off into the night as Lori begins to sob. Michael's breathing is heard during a montage of locations where he had recently been, indicating he could be anywhere. There you have it. That is the description from Wikipedia of the movie Halloween. Blood and guts check. <laughs> What'd you think of this movie, Mike? Okay, here I wanna I wanna pose this to you for the blood and guts check because uh-huh. obviously this is a great movie. I think that's kind of it's sort of stupid to dance around that. Yes. This is commonly held up as one of the greatest horror movies. Yes. It is like the birth kind of the uh, however you want to put it it's like the the leader of a whole genre of slasher films that dominated horror for a decade uh of course it's good does it hold up to that highest of high praise is my question to uh, you. that's a su- that's such a hard question to answer yeah because it is one of my favorite movies and yeah. i say that without hesitation um, but you know, again, we're hung up on this idea of like, what is it? It does it withstand the test of time. Yeah, and I think it does. Yeah, because we're not alone. Mm-hmm. I know other people. Some people who are younger than me. I've talked to about yeah. this movie since we started covering it mm-hmm. or watching it, um, and it's still one of their favorites. Yeah, and I, I, I think it really does stand the test of time. Um, is it? Maybe not as scary as it once mm-hmm. was perceived. Yeah, of course. I think I think yeah. horror is one of the genres with along with comedy, where the effect kind of wears off as people right. get used to the tricks. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The yeah. surprise is gone. Um, but it still is a very its straightforwardness. I think lends to mm-hmm. its staying power. Yeah. Um, what about you? What do you, what do you think? So I, we watched this two days ago and mm-hmm. I've been, I've been mulling this exact question over ever since then. Cause you posed a similar sort of question when we were, were sitting. I don't want to take full credit for this. No, no, no. I, I, I had a controversial th- yeah. thought, yeah. which, which we can't mention now because it's, it's been dashed. <laughs> well, no, it'll, no. it'll come up, um, okay. in our discussion of, of rankings, but, uh-huh. uh, uh, we, we both agreed. Uh huh. That this maybe isn't the move, the Halloween movie that we wanted to watch the most. Yeah, that we would choose in any given moment to put on. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that kind of ties into what I was about to say, which is that in the process of trying to assign some sort of qualitative value to this movie, I went back a lot to like, well, what's the criteria? And realizing that like nothing is ever going to be everything to all people right yeah Mm -hmm. a movie cannot do everything 
Now, some movies get pretty close, and I generally think of those as the best movies ever made. For whatever reason, the one that springs to mind right now is Fargo. Yeah, like, that's funny, because that is... I was thinking, like, what's my favorite movie? Yeah. And I think Fargo might be my favorite movie. And Fargo is a movie that, not coincidentally, is funny. It's at times scary. It can be unsettling, yeah, but yeah. it's also It's violent, and, but it's... Yeah, yeah exactly. It's yeah. a lot of things, but it's still not everything, right? And And the thing about Halloween is, especially because of its economy, because of its straightforward production and, and the aesthetic of John Carpenter... It's there's a lot of things that it's not. Uh, I would say, especially when we talk about horror movies that we love, and the kinds that we maybe w- would name first when we're talking when we talk to each other when we first started talking about horror movies, they're going to be a little more fun than this. Yeah, right? yeah, like a little bit more tongue in cheek. This is not a this is not a black comic horror movie. They're there are almost no jokes in this. There's a there's yeah. a little bit of lightness here and there. A little bit, but not yeah. yeah. It's it's a, it's a serious movie. It's a, yes, it's a serious movie. It's not a violent movie. One of the things we love about horror movies is great kill scenes and yeah. special effects and gore. It's not that. I love um, sort of demonic, frightening, supernatural elements in horror movies. It doesn't really have any of those. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> this movie in particular yeah, yeah, does yeah, yeah, not. Yeah. Does not. Right. So. So it's like, but I can't, I don't think it's fair to grade a movie like this on the, on a curve where it's like, well, it wasn't very fun and it wasn't gory enough. Mm-hmm. I kind of, I was like, well, that's not, then then you're not really being fair to any movie if you're trying to grade on that kind of scale. So what I thought was kind of to steal the hundredth thing we've stolen from one of my favorite podcasts, the Doughboys, mm-hmm. um, is something they talk about a lot when they evaluate fast food restaurants but this is something that i've been saying about movies since before that podcast started so i'm just like covering all my bases here but it's this idea of like you have to meet the movie meet the restaurant whatever it is where it's at and Mm -hmm. and and you have to take into account what are you trying to do what is your goal and then how well did you accomplish that goal so if i think about what kind of movie Halloween in as to as best as I can tell what it wants to be what it's trying to accomplish this movie is utterly perfect yeah it succeeds in every respect yeah I agree with you yeah I agree with you it's um it's almost it's difficult to separate it's it's hard to think critically about this yeah. movie in a lot of ways because it is so like ingrained in in myself mm-hmm. like like I joked that we barely paid attention when we watched it this time that's because I've seen this movie almost every Halloween since I first saw this I, movie yeah like well, like clockwork you watch it in October we watched it at the end of August but yeah, yeah you watch it every, if you're me or you you watch it once a year at least and probably twice a year yeah I mean there's probably a time. Like I was, uh, I was, you know, this and Dawn of the Dead are mm-hmm. the two movies I've probably seen the most in my life. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I was probably when I, in my more enthusiastic days, I probably saw this a couple times a year. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about some of the things 
I well, I'll talk about some of the things I really love, and that is I already had talked about at the top mm-hmm. the use of distance yes. and menace mm-hmm. in this movie. I think is like kind of unparalleled. Yeah, and it, it never the series never really reaches this level of effectiveness of scares yeah. uh, of of creepiness of right. dread. Yeah, um, there's a shot in. The newest Halloween movie, 2018, that I won't I won't talk about it now because we're going to talk about it in a month mm-hmm. plus, but that I think it seems to me that the the makers of that movie are deliberately trying to evoke some of what you're talking about, yes, and yeah. I think they do a really good job with it. And I'm going to single that that shot out in six weeks. But <laughs> um, what I think what you're talking about is there is a kind of um, it's not verite, but it's there is like a there's like a fantastical kind of realism about a lot of this, and I think something that that people don't maybe talk about all that much that I think really makes this movie work is uh, is the kids, and in particular mm. Tommy, the kid that Jamie Lee Curtis is is tasked with yeah, babysitting, yeah. who the movie kind of gives you multiple audience uh what's the word i'm looking for points of view yeah but but there's is it is it a cipher is that what yeah 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 yeah. right where it's like okay if you're if you're a teenager you know that's a great point you can be laurie but if you're if you're a kid if you're like me the first time i saw this then it's you're probably closer in age to tommy Tommy. Mm -hmm. and this the scene in this that i want to single out for the kind of stuff you're talking about it, there's a couple of them. They're they're all a little bit similar. They're shot from I think probably the same angle because it is all him pretty much looking out the same window. Uh huh. But the scene where he sees Michael emerge from the shadows on the side of the house across the street carrying Annie's body. Yeah. And all that happens is it's a, it's a long distance shot of him carrying this body mm-hmm. around the corner of the house and then into the front door. Yeah. It's it's funny that you single that one out because my mem- my mind always mm-hmm. goes to the daylight stuff, sure. which is like you're never expecting to be creeped out in broad daylight. Yeah, and um, there's like there's the famous one where he steps out from behind the, the shrubs, row, yeah. But the one that I love is in the classroom mm-hmm. where Michael like he's behind a car, yeah, and like in in the background of the shot. I just think these those tricks. Give so much credit to the audience. It doesn't spoon like a right. lesser movie would have a close up of Michael watching. Yeah, and you'd hear is like, <sighs> mm-hmm. like, but no, you don't. You just see it from Laurie's point of view. Yeah, I and mean, you do see, you do literally see from Michael's point of view in several <laughs> right, sequences. Right. But in these, like that, that's it's that's like a separate thing. Yeah. No, I, and and I want to come back to the daytime thing because I think we talked about this a little bit when we were watching it, but this is an all-time great daytime scares movie. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to to kind of hit on what you were saying about giving the audience credit. I think about the it's funny because the even the Wikipedia synopsis which is so fast and short, I think still almost handholds more than the movie does specifically the introduction with Dr. Loomis and the uh-huh. nurse where it's like, you know, I'm, I'm just going to go back. It says, uh, you know, Michael steals their car and escapes Smith's Grove. And it's like, even that is not fully 
clear in yeah, the movie. Yeah, it's not. You're like, what's? Who are these yeah. people? And what? and and yeah, all, what we see is Donald Pleasance and this nurse are driving up in the middle of the night, and all of a sudden, in the rain. Yeah, yeah, there are mental patients just milling about on the side of the road. Also, a very creepy shot, terrifying shot, reminding me a lot of of Night of the Living yes. Dead. Yes, yep. yep. I was going to say that. Mm-hmm. I think it's deliberate for sure, and. And it's just like, and then all of a sudden, you know, Loomis gets out of the car and somebody jumps on top and smashes the window and, and runs off of the car and the nurse survives. But that's, that's it. It's not like we, you know, again, a quote unquote lesser movie, you know, you might have uh, an orderly <laughs> right? in the hospital goes to, uh, to bring Michael his dinner. Yeah, yeah, And yeah, it's yeah. like, you see M. Myers on the side of the yeah, door. Yeah. And then oh, he's been in here for 15 yeah, years. There's all this exposition. There's an escape what sequence. What did he do? Oh, he murdered his sister. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I mean, I don't want to shit on the guy because he's actually, I think I'm more of a Rob Zombie defender than most people. But, like, I think a lot of what I'm imagining as being a much worse way to handle this is a lot of how he handles that stuff. Yeah. In his Halloween, which we'll also get to. We will get to. And it's been so long since I've seen that yeah. Halloween. And I don't know that I've ever seen the second one. Yeah. That uh, I'm, I'm I'm excited. Yeah. I think I'll have a different perspective than yeah. I did when I I'll first I'll tell you this. I know for a fact that there are scenes of Michael Myers in the institution and there are there is in the david gordon yeah. green one as well too. yeah 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 and i and i think every and i think in both cases that's a little bit of a now with david gordon green i'll give him the benefit of the doubt because it's a sequel it's a true sequel to this movie yeah so it's not we're not replaying these same events it is a re-institutionalized michael myers but yeah it still kind of does the same shit and i think it does it a little bit too much there's a lot of people have made this comparison between Michael Myers and uh, the shark in Jaws. Oh, yeah, of course. Right. That makes complete sense. And and it's like the beauty of it is that there is no motivation. There is no explanation. Yeah. We don't get all of this extra like then this happens and this happens and this leads to this. And it's just like. You're like the people in the movie. You're going through this experience and being like, what the fuck? Where did this guy come from? Why, why won't he yeah. stop? Why, yeah. is he, what, why is he doing this? And it's scarier if it's you don't scarier. know. Yeah. And, it, and that's where the sequels start to go in a different direction. Mm-hmm. They explain and it stops working as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Let's talk some more about the daytime stuff. Sure. Because um, I, I want your input on this, but one of the things that I mentioned to you was I mentioned this movie and then Scream, uh, another all-time classic horror film. And I think we this all came about in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, too. Did it? As well. That was probably the one that yeah, inspired Yeah, that makes sense. List. Of this, like, kind of the movie deliberately spending time almost sort of wallowing in or wading through that sort of crackling suspense and energy of the daytime before all of the bad stuff happens. Yeah, yeah. Right? And it's some of the shots that you're talking about of Michael just kind of stalking Laurie and other uh, people around Haddonfield during the day, but also that just sort of excitement of, like, it's Halloween. Like, this is a big day, and tonight's going to be, like, a spooky night. And uh-huh. I mean, it's just... Halloween is such a genius fucking concept and i will say if there's anything i would love to see more of in this movie 
it would be a little more Halloween. A little stuff. more Halloween business. Yeah. yeah. yeah I think the, it is sort of missing some uh, opportunities to like for a misdirect or like right. Michael Myers blending in with people. Which or, we do or, get a lot more from David Gordon Green. Is that's And I will say yeah. that sequence of that film is what really sings for me. And again, I don't want to like blow my whole you know everything we're going to talk about then but you know that's the stuff that works really well and i and it is kind of missing from this like this movie would maybe be improved by just one scene of kids running around at night trick-or-treating and michael you know walking undisturbed it it doesn't even have to take place on how like the movie really doesn't have to take place on halloween the (laughs) little kids like they they are, were trick-or-treating earlier or something yeah like, i think yeah. that's 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 the explanation <laughs> and like the parents are gone on a to a party or yeah. something yeah this is a town where the parents value partying more than the kids do, yeah. which <laughs> i would love to move to this town where my kids have to stay home while i go to a dope halloween party yeah yeah, yeah. i think they're going to like a key party like in the ice storm <laughs> or something yeah um <clears throat> okay so the performances mm-hmm all pretty uniformly great. Certainly, yes. Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, is. I mean, it's no surprise. She's destined to be a star. She's wonderful, and yeah. she's. Uh, it's kind of funny that she is like cast as the, as like the 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 virgin. I she's guess. A, yeah, she's sort of the dowdy one because she is like insanely beautiful too. Yeah, <laughs> like, we were joking about this last night, and we're gonna try not to sleaze out too much. No, 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 no. But I'm, but I mean, it's you know, it kind of it needs to be stated that it's like yes. She's she is not miscast. It's more of a Hollywood type of thinking, mm-hmm. you know, where like like the whole idea of like casting for Hollywood fat or whatever, you know, where it's like Adam Pally is like a fat man. Right, right, right. Like, Fuck you, Hollywood. But anyway, yeah, the idea of Jamie Lee Curtis as this like she's like the spinster one. Right. And it's like that is a statuesque, gorgeous woman. <laughs> yeah. Who also, just in terms of the cast, is also like clearly the most attractive of her friends. Yes. And, yeah. Um, the uh, I guess the other person who it's funny. I I like Donald Pleasant's performance uh-huh. in this movie, but he's like at eleven he the is. whole time. He's like yes. really big. He's going big. Yeah, but I mean, in a way, it like I mean, I th- I think it's a decent choice because it really does. Before Michael does anything, besides we see him as a kid kill his sister, which we should spend some time talking about that opening before we finish. Mm-hmm. Uh, that makes sense. Talk about it at the end. Um, <laughs> but, like, aside from that, like, Michael doesn't really get down to business until, like, after the halfway point of the movie. Yeah, so you need somebody who's, like, he's really bad. Yeah, you buy it. You're, yeah. like, this grown man with a serious English accent and is scared who went shitless. to medical school yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, is fucking terrified. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, yeah, I like that a lot. And I think that uh, PJ Souls and Nancy Loomis are both, they're good at differentiating their kind of roles in the friend group. Uh, I think Nancy Loomis is just the right amount of annoying to where yeah. it's like not actually annoying for, from my perspective. It's not actually annoying to watch her. You just go, oh, that's an annoying that's an annoying girl. person. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's like that's perfect. That's what you want for a movie because if it's grating to even watch her in a scene, then you're yeah. like, you, you you know, it's not enjoyable. But I think she actually hits that note just right. Uh, let's talk about that opening that opening scene. Okay, sure. Where uh, oh, did you have more? I'm sorry. No, I mean I could talk about this movie for three hours. You know, but. 
Let's go talk about the opening scene. Yeah. I mean, Does that mean we have to be done after the opening scene? No, okay, we can cool. continue. Okay, I, I, I was just thinking that's the top, like, on my mind now. Yeah. Um, iconic shot, shot through Michael's mm-hmm. point of view, putting the mask on, and watching his sister through the through the window. Yeah. Super creepy. Very creepy. The mask is such a great conceit, just as, like, a little camera trick. Yeah. Just that you start with the standard POV shot. Which is like, there's always a little bit of a disconnect with POV because, you know, we don't look at the screen and see, th- or we don't look at the world and see things in a little rectangle. Right. When you throw that mask on, then it's like, yeah, actually, this is kind of what that feels it's like. Feel, and that, like, the sound design is great because yeah. you hear his, like, breathing behind the mask. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I mean, I guess probably the movie, what's the movie? The Michael Powell movie about the cameraman who's a killer. Peeping Tom. Right, from the, it's like 68, 69. Yeah. That's the one that people kind of talk about as the true first POV, POV slashery yeah. thing. But this is the one that is aped in yes. so many movies. Yeah. Friday the 13th, of course, like almost. Mm-hmm. Friday the 13th just <laughs> really just, just steals, stole their yeah. lunch. Yeah. Um, and, then I, and then I guess in some ways became more successful, which is funny. Yeah. I mean, well, Friday the 13th, I think they were just better. Uh, they were better at business when it came to yeah, franchising right. it. It's just right. there were there were too many uh, bumps along the road for the Halloween franchise, which we will cover in detail. Um, but I was going to ask, help me out here because I'm probably forgetting some stuff. But outside of that first scene, the actual POV camera work is is pretty. There's not a ton, right? Um, I think there is more, but nothing's jumping out in my mind the way that that sequence does. there's like a handful of shots yeah and i think specifically with the ghost stuff with um with linda and bob i think there's a bit in that sequence but it's like i i, I want to say that myself and people myself included maybe remember it as being similar to friday the 13th where it's like oh yeah we're always stalking people around but I think it's actually something they go to pretty sparingly yeah i think so and yeah. i i mean i would suspect that part of that is just budgetary limitations sure. we, we can't always cart out the steady cam it's right. difficult to use yeah you got to do a lot of blocking and setting up shots like yeah, that yeah. and so it's really super like, hard to light them because you got to move through uh, multiple totally. rooms and hide all of the equipment and yeah I, just, I love that shot when he's unmasked as a boy yeah it's so cool it's, yeah. it's such a great opening to a movie um yeah. What else we got? <laughs> well, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the things that this movie spawned. And cuz we're talking very generally about the slasher genre, but we were watching it the other night, you know, one of the things we talked about was uh I think this this movie and again, uh, everything I we say comes with a caveat that like, you know, at people in the in the in the ads like in the mentions, it's like, yeah, I know there were other things that did it first, but this is the one that, like, really made them big. And we have this series of false victories. And... Oh, right, of, yeah, yeah, Specifically yeah. of... Um, uh, what was I going to say? Of Lori, like, seemingly defeating Michael. I want to say right. it happens three, three times. Yeah, she stabs him in the neck with a knitting needle. Yeah. She stabs him in the eye and then with the with the knife, knife. in the closet. And yeah. the, that's like one where he like, doesn't he literally like, he sits up behind yeah. her? Right, yeah. which is that where the Undertaker got his whole thing from? Pro- I mean, honestly, probably. Yeah. 
I've never heard an explanation, but yeah, that yeah would makes a lot. Which of sense. that's one of the best shots in the movie where we're we're watching Laurie just like going through awful, awful trauma and yeah. like trying to catch her breath, and then he just sits bolt upright in the background. My my advice, if you're ever stalked by a masked killer, mm-hmm. finish the job. Finish it off. <laughs> Make sure they're down yeah. for good. I mean, that's something I will say. That was something uh, that I very much. I know it's a slightly different genre, but uh, the first Zombie Land, I got a real kick out of that. The double tap, the whole double tap yeah, thing, yeah. which is just like that explanation up top, which is like, yes, always shoot them twice, like shoot them in the head, like leave nothing up to chance. Yeah, you know? San- the ending of Scream Two, I yeah. love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shoots Patricia. Uh, what's her face? The is it. Uh, would that matter? Isn't it the woman from Home Roseanne? Oh, no, no, no. That's Laurie Metcalf. It's not Laurie Metcalf? Oh, is it Laurie Metcalf? No. Because you're thinking of Patricia Heaton? I think no, she's from is. Everybody Loves Raymond. Oh, yeah, you're right. It does, well, whatever. He shoots her in the head twice. Yes. He's like, just in case. Yes. I'll look absolutely. her up right now. Okay. But yes, yeah, so this is, I don't want to say it's the first movie that did it, but it really feels like this is the this is the touchstone that I go to in my head where it's like, yeah, you have this... Not quite supernatural. It is Laurie Metcalf. I'm sorry. That's okay. I'm you're not going to gloat. Um, I feel like me saying I'm not going to gloat is gloating somehow. Uh, <laughs> whatever. Uh, that it, it, you know. It, I think Michael Myers is a really interesting bad guy in that respect because you know I think the easiest point of comparison is Jason Voorhees from Friday the Thirteenth, and at a certain point in that series, he has to be fully supernatural right yes at least within this self-contained film like there there does not need to be anything truly supernatural about michael myers he is just hard to kill right he dies hard (laughs) yeah no he he um any everything that happens can be explained away by rational fuck he got shot a bunch of times but I guess we didn't hit him. Yeah, I mean, if you shoot... Or hit him in the... you know, in, Yeah, in the you shoot tail. a big burly body six times and you get the shoulder, the arms, the leg, you miss the vital organs. You know, we see it off... It's off screen. I mean, who's he probably limped off, but, you know, yeah. he could still be alive. But again, then there's some, you know, later... He becomes a superhero. Yeah. I mean, not a superhero, but he becomes a supernatural being very mm-hmm. quickly. Um one more thing I wanted to talk about that's sort of a like a part of the meta commentary about this movie that I just think is interesting because I, I do feel like it's kind of a, a closed case, but it's worth noting is that, you know, a lot of people like to talk about this uh, sexually active teens getting punished morality play type of uh, idea approach. Sorry, I'm distracted because Eric's on his phone. Um, I'm listening. I'm listening. I was I was looking at IMDb. Yeah. Uh, no. No. It's I, I, you didn't do anything wrong. I just got distracted. I was saying I got distracted, oh. and then I blamed it on you. <laughs> That's what happened. But anyways, what I was saying is, this was a popular topic of this idea that it's like, oh yeah, the teens have sex and then they get murdered. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious. Like I know what John Carpenter and Deborah Hill have to say about that. What do you feel like? Is there something that you take away from this movie in regards to its relationship with sex? I mean, I, I 
No, I don't think so. Well, I mean, I guess there is an argument to be made because yeah. Lindsay is killed. Linda, yeah. Linda yeah. is killed. What's the other one's name? Annie. Annie. They're both killed. One is after is postcoital. Mm-hmm. The other is on the way to precoital. Yeah. Precoital. I mean, yes, I guess there is an argument to be made. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if the intention was that. You know what yeah. I mean? I think it's something that was that maybe was laid onto it after mm-hmm. the fact. Uh, it's similar to Friday the Thirteenth because right. I think we made an argument for that. That like, it's not really the case. The mm-hmm. people who, you know, it's not like you have sex, you die. Right. It becomes that. But yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I, I mean, you know, so Carpenter and Hill have both said no. That's not what it, we just tried to write. Honest teenagers and teenagers like to have sex, which I guess is true if you're attractive. I mean, I, we all want to have sex. Sure. Now I've reverted to teenager again. We, us teenagers. Uh, Mike, as an adult, wants to have sex with teenagers. Is what that's he not, said. It's not. It's not what he said. It's what he said. Absolutely not. I'm not. I'm no Eli. Okay. Um, <laughs> he doesn't want to have sex with teenagers now. I don't think. I don't know. We don't really I mean, talk. Who, who can say? He's kind of a trumper now. So I mean, not kind of very much. So <laughs> we lost contact. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, anyways, <laughs> I I do think that there is. Some underlying thematic stuff with sex, but I don't think it's that. It doesn't really feel like punishing. It's more just like, I think like most good metaphor, instead of having it be really specific and on the nose, it's kind of just like, I don't know, it's just sort of stitched in there to like steep in and think about. his sister was fucking right before she died. Right, so that's one of the things that comes to my mind where it's like, well, you can't ignore that, that it's like. You can't, yeah. Yeah. Now, does that mean that they're, like, poo-pooing sexual activity? I don't think so, because I also feel like Lori, like, there is a very deliberate use of sort of... The movie's very phallic. Um, between the knife... Like, everything's stabbing. It's always stabbing, mm-hmm. right? You got this knife. You got this knitting needle. You got this straightened uh, clothes hanger. Yeah. You know, we're always jabbing long, pointy things into people's bodies. That's, yeah. like... All that happens. Michael Myers' big hulking male is always yeah. gazing at people yeah. through windows, through behind his mask. Right. You see through his eyes, yeah. And I do think it's one of those things that, like, I think pe- it invites people to bring their own perspectives to stuff. And so I think that's where you get a lot of this, like, sex is bad because it's maybe people who have uh, sort of, uh, you know, absorbed that over the course of their lives and, and yeah. are sort of regurgitating it. I guess that that's more of what I'm mm. getting after is that I, I don't think there's any inherent morality to yeah. what's happening, but certainly Michael is triggered by mm. that. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's also just interesting that these movies take place and, and star teenagers right. because it's such a heightened time in everybody's life mm-hmm. where you're feeling your feelings are elevated you're 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 horny as fuck <laughs> you know like everything is just like yes it's just heightened it's yeah, turned up yeah. so there's like so there's like a, a, an automatic like drama built into mm-hmm. almost every interaction between characters and, yeah. and like yeah uh, I, I kind of petered out there at the end but yeah it's it's I don't think that Deborah Hill and John Carpenter were like writing this script to be like, let's make sure these kids never screw. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no, I think I agree with you there. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to touch on? Um, not now. We're going to talk about a big aspect of it in the next yeah. segment. Mm-hmm. Should we um, move into some superlatives then? Let's talk about some superlatives, yeah. Okay. So this is, we didn't really plan this out no, at all. But, but we can, we can. Yeah, but this is something that I had, I had, I had suggested. We had talked about previously of uh, <laughs> best, I mean, we were essentially, I mean, we can just do our sort of standard run of stuff. Yeah, I didn't keep a body count this time, but let's. Yeah. Let's, let's do, I'll, I'll pull up a body count in the meantime the one thing that I that's that's right. Now I'm remembering now. We when we had talked about this, I wanted to introduce a nod for acting to our superlatives. Sure. Since we're not doing the whole rundown of this of the plot anymore. Now I think this is not too difficult. I mean, yeah. I don't think we're gonna have super controversial picks, but what do you think? Do you do you have a clear front runner for best performance in the movie? Yeah, I mean I think it's pretty an, an iconic performance by Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's probably not the most exciting answer. Yeah, but I think it's definitely the answer right. for me. Yeah, um, I do like what you had to say about Tommy Wallace, the boy. Yeah, I don't know if that's the way who you were going to talk about, but uh, no, I think I think for me, um, again, like the correct the quote unquote correct answer is. It, it it is Laurie. It is it is Jamie Lee Curtis. But um, I think that if I was to give an honorary mention to anybody, it would probably have to be Donald Pleasance. Because mm-hmm. even though, like you said, he's dialed way up, I think his his performance manages to avoid going into self parody, and uh, and it really does heavy lifting for the movie, right? If if it's her job to carry the second half of the film and all of that fear and intense visceral reaction, it's sort of his job to carry the first half. I wonder what he thought of the movie as he was rec- as he was filming it. I'd be curious to know. Yeah, like, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if that's I'm sure it's documented in some book on the making of it. But if he thought like yeah. this is some piece of shit, <laughs> yeah, we can look into it. Um, in the meantime, I'm doing this piece of shit picture. <laughs> In South Pasadena. <laughs> well, I mean, wh- how whatever he thought going into it, he came back and he worked with Carpenter two more times. A bunch and, of times, yeah, yeah. Yeah, at least Escape from New York and uh, Prince of Darkness. So mm-hmm. they certainly developed a good working relationship. Um, okay. Death count for the movie. We start with Judith Myers stabbed to death with a butcher knife. Uh, Off screen, the mechanic uh, who gifts Michael his coveralls. Then we have, uh, if we're counting uh, family pets, we have Lester the dog. Uh, R.I.P. Yeah. Um, and then also off screen, the dog. <laughs> that is one thing I want to say. I forgot to mention. The dog oh, that yeah. was maybe killed by a skunk, according to the sheriff. <laughs> <laughs> and also um, uh, Annie, I guess, is it? or Yeah. It was like it's her, his daughter. Thinks, yeah. thinks that the dog's dying sound is the dog coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sounds like you have a hot date. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, it sounds like he's dying. Yeah, but, like- <laughs> okay. Uh, and then uh, next up on our list is Annie, who is uh, strangled and then has her her throat slit in that foggy car in the garage. A great scene, mm-hmm. uh, and really the first. Uh, that's uh, almost an hour into the movie, and that's the first big on screen kill we get from adult 
uh, Michael. Mm-hmm. Then we have uh, Bob, who is stabbed through the chest with a butcher knife, left suspended off the ground is a cool shot. Yeah, very and cool. And that also leads to the butterfly collection head tilt that we were talking about. Uh, and then, believe it or not, the only other kill in the movie is Linda, who is strangled to death with a phone cord. Very tame kills. Yeah, we very have we kills. have four on-screen kills in the movie. That is it. Um, Michael is stabbed multiple times and shot with a full round from or full round of uh, shells from a revolver. But you know, like we said, he disappears at the end of the movie. Yeah, you had a best best death, Eric. Yeah, I was thinking it's between two for me, and I okay. think I'm gonna go with. Uh, Judith Myers' death at mm-hmm. the end of that very long Steadicam point yeah. of view shot. It's just like, it's a well orchestrated, well shot. Mm. You get a little TNA in there. Not so sure, bad. She, uh, the, that actress was a Playboy playmate in the really? 70s. Uh, looks the part. Looks the part, yep. Um, but it's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's a great first sequence in the movie. And yeah. I think it sets the tone. For the rest of it, what about yourself? I think that's a great pick. Uh, I was also back and forth between two. Uh, my honorable mention was going to be Annie in the car. I just think it's a really serious... <laughs> it's like we talked about the movie not being a lot of fun. And that, that death is a good example yeah. of how it's like very much just like visceral. Like, this is a woman being strangled to death. Yeah, But... One of the little notes of fun that I really enjoyed and what put this one over the top for me, even though it's not really the death itself, but the immediate aftermath, I love that shot of Bob. Me too. Uh, with the knife through his chest, feet off the ground as he is pinned to the to the cabinets. Yeah. Uh, I just think that that is a really cool, almost iconic kind of image. And, and you can almost see the spark of some of the more creative deaths that will come in the slasher genre yeah. later on. You know? Yeah, that, that was the one, the other one that I was debating with. Yeah. But it's great. It's great. And the, te- the, he- the head tilt yeah. is wonderful. Yeah. What a great touch. Yeah, definitely. All right, so what do we do next here? Uh, you want to do uh, the the scare meter? What is it called? Uh, we, we, the yeah, frighten meter. That we, we usually do that last. We can do them out of Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, moments that aged poorly. Oh, yeah. Moments that aged poorly. Um, you know, this isn't a moment that aged poorly, but I always have a little bit. Uh, I'm sick of on-screen dog deaths. Uh, or not even on-screen, yeah. but dogs, dogs. getting killed. I'm killing the dogs. You do see its leg go limp. Yeah. Um, and I think this is the one that started it, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. But uh, it seems like in every horror movie, if the dog survives, it's noteworthy. Yeah. Um, enough with the animal cruelty. No sure. more dog deaths. You don't need it. Sure. Kill a cat once in a while. Yeah, yeah, I like. Yeah, I mean, they, I think that's a lot my of answer. Cats get killed too. I mean, yeah. yeah, but anyways, uh, all the cat people and the Joe Rogan fans are coming for us this, to this episode. Uh, I'm gonna go with. It's not terrible, uh, but I'll say that the movie's overall approach to the mental health uh, world is probably a little spotty. Sure. Um, Dr. Loomis seems like, um, yeah, I I don't totally trust him. I wouldn't want him no, to be he's my not, psychiatrist. No, he's not a very trustworthy guy. He seems no. a little sleazy. He's a little sleazy. He's, he's packing heat. Yeah, he just whips out a huge-ass revolver. I bring this shaky. gun everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, also all of his plans are terrible. Like yeah, yeah. he totally alphas the sheriff. He just, the sheriff just does whatever he wants. 
And his his request at every turn is like, no, don't do anything. Don't call any other cops. Uh, don't even come in the house. I'm going to handle this myself. And it's like, eh. You know, I feel like if you guys had just put out, like, a big APB, like, he could have been caught insists right insists that everyone shouldn't. He argues with the guy at Smith's Grove. He argues with the sheriff. It's like, we at least could have, like, gotten all the teenage girls to lock the doors and yeah. be on the lookout for the murderer. <laughs> It's like, well, sometimes you got to break some eggs to make an omelet. So that's my note. Um, that's a good note. Okay, then. Mary, fuck, kill is the last thing we uh, do. Now we do the John you, Carpenter you, fear you, meter. You screwed me up, you <laughs> son of a... It's my fault. John Carpenter fear meter. The John Carpenter fear meter. Um, I think for this one, it's going to be high on... It's going to be higher up on the scale. Yeah. Is it a thing? Hmm. No, Wait, you want to go back to the original Carpenter scale? Well, I mean, that is like uh, typically our our movie that we've rated the highest. We, we give it. Oh yeah, but you're not actually going to give it the thing. You're no, going to give no, it a no, number no, out no. of ten. I'm going to give right? it a number out of ten. Okay, I was confused. I was like, did you black out and forget the last four <laughs> months of us not doing the Carpenter scale? No, I don't okay. think I can rate it as high as that. Okay, um, but it is extremely creepy, uh, unsettling at times. I'm be giving this one an eight. I'm going for an eight. That's exactly what I was thinking. Great. So we're in agreement. Well, there you go. Eight on the John Carpenter fear meter. There you have it. And finally, Mary, fuck, kill. There's no reason to beat around the bush here. It's a kill. Fuck it. Fuck it. Never want to watch this movie again. (laughs) I'll put on Halloween five instead. Yeah, that's right. Was that the curse of Michael Myers? No, that's six. I can't remember (laughs) which one. Is five. I mean, I know which one is five. I don't remember the yeah. subtitle. Sure, sure. Any hoosies? It's a bits of Mary, of course. We've, yeah, we've yeah. watched it so many fucking times. It's Mary. I practically have married this movie. Yeah. All um, right. You want to do another forty-minute segment after the break? Yeah, let's do another forty-minute segment after the break. All right. Let's yeah. take a quick break. Okay, that's Halloween, a horror movie we both think is pretty good. Very good. One of the things a short scene can't show you is that Halloween is directed and acted with a great deal more artistry and craftsmanship than the sleaze bucket movies we've been talking about. But there's another much more important difference. As you watch Halloween, your basic sympathies are always enlisted on the side of the woman, not with the killer. Mm -hmm. The movie develops its women characters as independent, intelligent, spunky, and interesting people. Halloween does not hate women. Yeah, you know, when I saw that scene, I must admit I wasn't really worrying about the woman as much as I was placing myself in that closet and thinking about that killer, how I would handle it. Uh And I was also appreciating the fact that I think Halloween not only doesn't hate women, Mm -hmm. but it loves film and filmmaking. That music is just fabulous. The way he starts one theme then lays another thing on top of it, keeping the other theme, really good. Uh, Also, the light coming through the slats. Okay, we're back. Now, that was uh, a little snippet from uh, Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert discussing Halloween, a movie they both kind of surprisingly, they both really enthusiastically like. I think they both yeah. had it on their, their best of year uh, for that year, uh, their best of lists. <clears throat> and uh, Siskel there was talking about the music. Mm-hmm. We've been talking around it the whole time. Yeah. The theme song, the theme for this movie, composed by John Carpenter is one of the all-time great themes, yeah. I would say. One of the most famous, noteworthy. Carpenter is known, like, one of the big things, I feel like, that everybody who knows about John Carpenter knows is that he's also the writer of most of the music for his yeah. movies. And, you know, originally we were like, what should we do for an end segment? Should it be Carpenter theme songs? Right. 
or should it be horror movie themes? Right. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to do a little Mount Rushmore of all-time horror movie scores. Right. But there are some things we need to hash out at the top. Yes. But I do want to say, at some point, we will do mm-hmm. a Carpenter one. We yeah. will. I think we should do a Carpenter one for sure, because I'll go ahead and I'll say this controversial, maybe not controversial statement right now. Halloween, not my favorite Carpenter score. Uh, it's it's not my favorite Carpenter score either. I think it's iconic. Yeah. Do we want to hear a bit of it? Do you, okay. Let's let's yeah. talk, let's talk about this because is it going to be on our Mount Rushmore? We got We should probably. Well, I mean, also here's the thing. In the past, we have come together on a Mount Rushmore. I think I am in favor if you are not opposed of having our own from here on out, and if they overlap, they overlap. Mm-hmm. And so we can say, oh, yeah, that was also on my list, too. Okay. But I think that the exercise, I don't know that we gain anything from coming to a consensus on just four things. It's sure. like if we were ranking them, I think it's more interesting to find a consensus like we do with our ranking episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for me, it's just like, ah, you can have yours. I'll have mine. Okay. So then that actually changes. I, 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 okay. I only have three selections because I was anticipating... Uh-huh. But I'll, I'll make a game time decision. Okay. Because there's a couple that I was wrestling around with. Mm-hmm. But that changes things because... All right. Something I was talking yeah. with Mike about earlier. I don't typically always pay attention to the score of a movie, which I know sounds crazy. <laughs> it's an integral part of the movie. But I think if it's successful, you don't really think about it. It's okay. just it's just a part of the movie that you're mm-hmm. like... I don't know. It, it, sometimes if, if it's distractingly bad it sticks out to me or if it's like a good song like Mm -hmm. a song that i would listen to sure then it really sticks out to me and those are the ones i listen to yeah i don't typically listen to like orchestral scores when i'm just like chilling Mm. out and and listening to music well i don't know that i mean i do that sometimes i don't do that all the time but i but the impression I got from you was you were also sort of suggesting that you don't often notice them while you're watching the movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely case by case. I mm-hmm. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes yeah. I don't. Yeah. Like, yeah I don't and I don't, think I'm about not it. here to like, shame you. No, like, I, yeah. I can't even think of what the score to Child's Play is. Sure. Or... You know, uh, I, I almost said an example that was a bad example because it's one that I actually do know. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, I, I just, it doesn't really s- yeah. stand out to me in, in yeah. a way because I'm just kind of paying attention to what's on screen more. Sure. I mean, I guess I, not to sound, not to try to make myself sound like some sort of galaxy brain, but I guess it's like, well, I just pay attention to both. Um, yeah. But that's kind of my perspective. Which is like, you know, it's it's not a right or wrong thing, I think. But Yeah, I, I don't know how I can explain it in a way that will satisfy you. You don't need other to Other than like, you. I'm not like, it's not like I'm hearing silence. Sure. It's just that it's not really like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't like listening to them. <laughs> so like, it's like, I don't know, it's, it's typically, they're usually not music that i like enjoy like okay you know what it is i i don't there is very seldom mm-hmm. that i find something that i'm like i want to listen to this outside of but the i don't think of i mean you keep coming back to that but i, I don't know, think I that's the exercise at all i th- I feel like we're just talking about what are the best scores that function 
within the film that they're yeah and i think yeah. i've picked some of those okay yeah but i mean i don't think there's and actually I've, I've avoided some of the more like things that i actually enjoy okay gotcha. um, i don't think there's anything particularly strange about not listening to movie scores outside of when you're watching the movie yeah in fact i think that's probably more normal than, <laughs> than yeah, yeah like i think it's like a film school nerd kind of uh, right, idiosyncrasy right. that a lot of people that you know myself included do listen to movie scores uh on their own anyway um, but yeah so that's that's one thing the other thing i wanted to talk about is this particular mount rush score of all-time horror movie scores and to be clear we're really talking about scores we're not talking about soundtracks with diegetic or non-diegetic music this is music composed for the movie because otherwise it would just be bride of chucky it would be right it would be be, be living dead girl and screaming screaming weasel brains or whatever the fuck they're called um (laughs) yeah but uh when we talk about best i kept vacillating between sort of three different uh criteria I guess we'll say for, for how I was going to decide on this. And one is like importance. Yeah. Right. How much is that a factor? Is that the most important thing? Is importance the most important? I don't know. We're going to figure this out in a second. Is it just pure enjoyment? Right. Like how much do I like this personally? Is it effectiveness? Yeah. Those are kind of the three different things that I was trying to weigh music on and i want to know what Same you were here. thinking i i, I kind of think i the, the what i've settled on for yeah. myself is something that ticks all of those boxes okay gotcha yeah because i i want to I'll, I'll say this well so let's start by talking about halloween because yeah. i think maybe in our discussion of this we can help i it can help me crystallize one of my decisions at least now now you know, now that we've discussed a little bit how we're going to have our own lists and, and how this is going to go, you said that changes some things. Does that change anything for you with the hol- with Halloween? Um, no, I, I don't think so. I just had to have it. I only picked three is what it changed. So I had to think of another one. That's oh, because you just assumed Halloween was going to be one of them? or uh, Well, we each picked... I, we picked two of this. I guess it doesn't matter. Right. But I, I picked two. Because you thought alternate. we were going to split a Mount Rush score. Exactly. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. yes. That makes sense. Um, yeah, I had picked four, but I had also decided in my head that I was just going to do my own list and right. didn't communicate that to you. So <laughs> uh, shame on me. Um, but I think that, you know, the thing that I was going back and forth on the most is like, okay, so I guess Halloween is going to be the first name on the Mount Rushmore for me. But then I was like, this actually isn't my favorite Halloween score. No, it's uh, not. It's not. Yeah. And so then it's like, so is it by default on the list? Because it's definitely more well-known and more important than my preferred Halloween score. I don't know. I mean, I and I guess that's. I almost want you to tell me what to do. <laughs> uh, no, I think let's no, let's leave it off. Let's like okay. I, I don't think we needs to be there. I do want to listen to it for for a second. Yeah, let's play the original Halloween score. Uh, you know it. You probably love it, but just in case, here it is. 
Is this technically EDM? It might be. <laughs> so, see, this part is nice. It is that it's that central like that just it kind of gets a little annoying. Yeah. I don't think it's annoying so much as it's like this song to me. It's like don't stop believing. Right? Oh, okay, yeah, or like yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody. It's like I don't know if those songs are any good anymore because I've heard them too many times. Yeah. All right. There it is. I think this is the best part of the song when he layers the high synth on top of that that bass. Okay. There it is. Uh, it's certainly not bad. It's it's effective. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, in terms of even John Waters, John Waters, <laughs> <laughs> John Carpenter scores. Yeah. Um, not gonna be the uh, the top of the the top of the pops for me. Yeah. This is one that like absolutely ticks the box in terms of being iconic, important, and being effective. I think it's actually a very effective score it like really sets the tone the mood it's great i'm kind of sick of it and so for like it's like would i put it on top of my personal my very personal list it's just like preference it's like no probably not Mm -hmm. um i assume and i could be wrong but i assume that we're probably both thinking of the same alternate halloween score when it comes to preferred the is it the silver shamrock theme well that i was gonna say the score of that film because it contains silver shamrock stuff so we're talking about halloween 3 season of the witch but it also has an original score by carpenter and alan howarth that i think is awesome really good yeah Yeah, and i actually enjoy listening to it more than this one me too so i guess if i was just like being completely honest about my own personal preferences, then I would put Halloween three above Halloween and it would be on my Mount Rush score. Do you want to do that? You want to pull an audible? Yeah, let's do it. Should all we, right. Should we, should we give them all a taste, a little taste of that Halloween three? Let's do it. Okay. Chariot of Pumpkins, yeah, from just, the Halloween Three soundtrack. We just jammed out a little bit. So yeah, it's just—I mean, maybe chalk it up to improved synthesizer technology. Yeah, it's just a little more diverse. It's a little more interesting. It's a little more. It's not faster, but it feels more energetic. I think, but it's still so ominous, and it's just fucking cool. It's just cool. Yeah, yeah. That, that, it, it gets a lot of a lot of cool points. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna talk about Halloween three plenty uh, in these uh, 
in these coming weeks, but I think that's what I got to go with. I got to go with that as my first pick on my Mount Rushmore. That's great. All right. Um, I'm going to do mine. Okay. This is one that I know you don't have, but I know mm. it's one that you know. Okay. Um, now, as as a whole, there's not a lot of score, I don't believe, in mm-hmm. this movie, but this is one that's like right at the top. It's really fun. It's really effective. It sets up the tone of the movie so well. Mm-hmm. And it's the theme from Return of the Living Dead. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. So let's, uh, let's hear a little taste of that. song so much fun slaps similar vibe actually yeah. to the halloween three song. i was i was commenting that it is uh still synthy but it's much more of a rock synth kind of yeah. sound. and i do enjoy uh the use of like kind of sound effects really you uh-huh. know? um i think it works really well yeah we get those almost like church bells kind uh-huh. of. yeah it's creepy um all right how about yours, number two? Okay, my number two. Do we want to run through the two that we overlap on right now? Yeah, let's do that. These then, are both on our list. Okay. And both of these, I think, get points for being important, iconic scores. But then I think they're also just like... Let's start with the one that I think is probably a little more fun, that I'm more inclined to listen to on my own. Okay. And that's going to be the... Uh, Goblin original score to Dario Argento's Suspiria from yeah, 1977. Also on my list. And, um, well, let's listen to it and then we can comment on it. Another ripper. Yeah. 
So I don't know what you can decide what you want to give the folks, but it's I mean it starts it's it's kind of a two phase song. You've got that yeah that kind of spooky slower intro with I I mean I feel like it clearly cribs a little bit from the Exorcist like yes, tubular I was gonna say bells tubular bells yeah right but then. I don't know. I one of the reasons I think this is so great is because it's it's super like creative in you know so Suspiria you know for those who don't know it's about witches it takes place in Europe and and it's like the instrumentation like that weird kind of it's it's not a guitar it might be like yeah, a like a lute, lute or yeah. something like right yeah. and then those drums are really unique and then they have this kind of like old world Europe feel yeah. to it yeah. And then, like, the witches cackling in the back. <laughs> I said it sounded like the gremlins. Yeah. yeah. And then well, once it kicks in, it's yeah. like, oh, shit, we're listening. this is a good song. Right. This and is actually you, a song. You realize Goblin's a rock band. Yeah, Like, exactly. it turns into a rocker halfway through. Um, it works so well. And, you know, and I won't, I never shut up about the Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. The Dawn of the Dead. Uh, kind of the Goblin soundtrack is my least favorite part of the movie in wow. some ways i like it yeah. it's fine but it, like there's some moments where it doesn't fit as well it do- as it does in suspiria i'll say that i'll say this it's very dominating like yeah it's a it's it only works with a certain kind of movie like suspiria which is and i'm going to use a term that i truly despise mostly because of the people that use it and the way that they use it but i think is a is really apt Suspiria is a bit of a tone poem. <laughs> yes, sure, yeah, it is. Right? It's like the plot is not what you're there for. I mean, and this is a very giallo thing, but it's like visually incredible, and yeah. the music is crazy, and the gore is the gore great. gore is great. But like it's, the story is... It's kind of a snooze story-wise. Yeah, and so it's like it's good to have like an, a really aggressive sort of overpowering score like yeah, this, yeah. where in another movie like Dawn of the Dead, where you really want to pay attention to what's going on, yeah, I mean, it can they, be a little over the action sequences like that. Don't, 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 don't. That's that's cool. I I don't yeah. mean to shit talk the soundtrack. It's sure. just like I'm not throwing that one on. I would listen to this one on its own. Yeah, I do listen to this one on its own. This is on every Halloween. Uh, I make a lot of Halloween party playlists. Uh, I love Halloween. I love Halloween parties. I'm getting almost too old for them, but <laughs> you'll have to drag me out I'm kicking too and screaming. Old for this shit. <laughs> uh, this one's always on there. All right, let's talk about the next one that overlaps, sure. and this is one that is certainly important. Yeah. It's iconic, maybe perhaps the most iconic horror movie uh, score of all time. It's at least one of the most influential, yeah. for sure. And I think it, it, it works so well because it, it is additive to yeah. the movie. It amps up the paranoia and in the, mm-hmm. in the suspense. Yeah. Uh, and we're talking about Bernard Herrmann's um, uh, theme from Psycho. Yeah. Which is really, and for our purposes, it's a two for one because we're really getting Psycho and Reanimator. And Reanimator, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's hear a bit of that.
There you go. If you're if you're in the orchestra playing that, do you think you get stressed out? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's stressful to listen to. Yeah, it's great. It, I mean, for a movie like Psycho, where st- the stabbing of Janet Lee is such an iconic, evocative image, I would be hard pressed to think of another piece of instrumentation that's so married to that kind of image that's so evocative yeah, of yeah. Like, it sounds like violins stabbing it does you yeah know? it does it's crazy it's really i mean it's if to it's it's sort of a perfect again marriage is i think the right word of like you know the the material right the 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 film and the and the, and the music itself um great love it let's er- go on to Eric's moving us along <laughs> <laughs> Mike has to wake up at three in the morning. Yeah, I'm the one. Who I, says know, I know, I know, I know. I don't want our art to suffer. It's not, man, because it's of not. my flight. Yeah, it's not. Um, let's move on to your last pick. Is okay, it your last pick. Yes, this is my fourth and final, and this okay. is one that I thought about for a long time. There are a lot of things that could have gone on here. Yeah, and, and I think ultimately, with the exception of Halloween three, we have kind of landed in this space of like these are the most, some of the most important. Uh, soundtracks ever made. So I would like to revisit not just Carpenter scores, but at some point maybe we could do a most underrated. Yeah, I film mean, I think scores. there's so much. Yeah. Let's talk about before we get to yours. Yeah. I, know, I know what yours is, and I know what my new pick is. Uh, uh, hmm. Some notable except notable things we're mm-hmm. leaving off the list. And yeah. It's it's. I don't know why we are, but we are. This is a hard category. <laughs> yeah. and it's like bleeds into like what's the most important? What's mm-hmm. the, what do I like the most? Yeah. We're not talking about Jaws, right. the Jaws theme, which is amazing. Sure, it's also maybe overplayed, yeah. but but yeah. that doesn't you know diminish its importance and its effectiveness. Uh, we're not talking about Tubular Bells, yeah. which I think is a very cool track mm-hmm. <clears throat> that works well in The Exorcist. And we're not talking about the Shining, which also I think is a great yeah. a great score. Um, so those are like big three that we we know. Mm-hmm. I, I know, <laughs> but uh, you know, just we're kind of going with. And you're like fucking Halloween three, season of the witch. Yeah, no Jaws. <laughs> Return yeah. of the Living Dead. Yep, yeah, we're sort of going into our own like shit here. A little. It's bit. a mishmash. We kind of yeah. split the difference. I think. So I think this category is ripe for revisiting at some yeah, point, maybe absolutely. with some different criteria. Yeah, and 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 I mean it's. There's no shortage of great scores to listen to, so it's a fun exercise to continue. So, with all that being said, the last one that I settled on is one that is burned in my brain for all of my adult life, and at least half of my adolescent life. Uh, And I think in terms of of, uh, sort of inspiring, evoking emotion... I would be hard pressed to come up with anything that feels more like horror and despair and also sort of grand epic sadness. And it's just like, this is this little bit of orchestration is so, so full of, of the of emotions and really negative emotions of the human experience that I could <laughs> not leave it off the list. And, and it's also a good nod. You know, we've got some Carpenter on there. I got to do a shout out to the frequent collaborators, David Cronenberg and Howard Shore. This yeah. is Howard Shore's score from The Fly. And uh, I asked you, we're going to cue it up. So if you want to listen to more of it, like this is, this is, I think, 
this isn't even the main title sequence. This is this is really from the climax of the movie. So really the most difficult part to watch. Yeah. So if we could fire this up from like the three minute mark and we'll just catch a little bit of this sort of climactic finale of human despair. Alrighty. Human and insect despair, I should say. Yeah, so that's when it sounds like when your loved one uh, marries his already half insect body to a telepod, and then you have to blow his head, head off, off with a shotgun. Uh, insect like in the, in some of its sounds, and yeah, it's uh, evoking too. Like yeah, I'm a, curious how how that made you feel. What did that What did that sound like listening to that? Or feel like how it made me feel like. Um, both listening to it and then the pick itself, I guess. I want. I want your. Oh, I, I mean, I think it's a really it's an inspired pick, and it's it's great. It's another one that fits so well in the context of the movie. Yeah. Um, outside of the movie, it's, it's similar to Psycho in its stressfulness. Yeah, stressful and grand. It's yeah, very, very like, grand. I mean, he makes full use of the orchestra mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, man, I I mean, it would be hard to sit through, but. They should do like a Hollywood Bowl. Like, oh, that'd be awesome. With this score? I mean, Christ, they could yeah. make a meal out of that. I mean, all of their collaborations. One that I would listen to because I just like watch. I listened. Uh, sorry, I looked at a few lists of like mm. best horror sure. soundtracks yeah, of all yeah. time. And Videodrome comes up a lot. It does. That's yeah. a difficult listen. <laughs> that one's a little it more. It is. Yeah, it's really <laughs> unpleasant. And also, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Maybe I'm going to get some more haters, the Rogan heads, and the who are the other people we pissed off? Cat today? people. Cat people. And now Videodrome fans. I don't consider Videodrome to be a horror movie. I don't either. Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah. Uh, uh, another one that I wanted to put on, but I didn't because it's not a horror movie, uh, Escape from New York. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's one of those things. I mean, for me, because this won't be, I don't think this is something we're going to, are we, when we rank Carpenter scores, we'll probably be horror movies, right? I mean, I don't think we have to limit ourselves okay, to that. Well, then I won't say what my favorite Carpenter score is. All right, we'll we'll hold off on that tidbit. So we got one more pick, Eric. What is the last spot on your Mount Rushmore of all time horror scores going for? Uh, so you guys heard I was a little bit surprised by the uh, <laughs> I- I- introduction that this is our individual list. Yeah. So then I thought quickly, what's what's my last pick going to be? Is mm-hmm. it going to be this? Is it going to be this? And it went with my heart. Uh, Ray Parker Jr.'s Ghostbusters. Ray Parker Jr.'s Ghostbusters. Hit it. Um, <laughs> no, it's a recent movie. It's one we've co- talked about on this very p- 
podcast yeah. this episode. Oh, really? It's uh, Disaster Pieces music from It Follows. It's pretty fucking good. It's stuff. pretty fucking good. It's really yeah. cool. Yeah. Play that track for me that everybody loves. Very John Carpenter inspired. Yeah, like yeah. certainly takes uh, inspiration from from his scores, but maybe with more of a modern mm-hmm. modern approach. When that big riff comes in, man, oh, it hits like so a ton good. of bricks. Yeah, it's it's great. Yeah. Um, and I think he started out making video game music. Makes sense. And yeah. It makes sense. Yeah, there's a lot of crossover there. Yeah, I mean, if I could put Castlevania four on here, I probably oh would. hell yeah. Um, yeah, that one actually made me think of an honorable mention, too, just in case it doesn't make it onto a future list, because this is also borderline not horror. But I do, I thought about it for a while, and I did want to shout out Micah Levy, her her score for uh, Under the Skin. Yeah, that was also one yeah. that I was I was uh, toying with, because yeah. it's great. It's, it's fucking, so great. It gets in your head. It's fucking, yeah, the, when I saw that movie... You talk about not noticing scores a lot, and I don't always, but I was in the theater and I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, I I immediately bought it because like, this is so fucking cool. Yeah, yeah. All right, there you have it. There's our Mount Rush score uh, of horror movie scores. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I know I got a lot of editing to do after this, <laughs> but it's fun. If fun anybody stuff. wants to uh, edit our podcast for free, let us know. <laughs> All right, let's bring this baby home. You can write yeah. to us on our socials. Follow us uh, at Instagram on uh, at KillstreakPod on Twitter and Instagram. Yep. Leave us an email, killstreakpod at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail. Mm. We would love it. Let yeah. us know if maybe you don't like Halloween. Yeah. Maybe you thought mail. it was boring. Show uh-huh. notes. Uh, yeah, just check in your podcast app. There's a link right there to leave a voicemail. I also wanted to give a real quick shout out. We got a new member of the yes. Killstreak team. Uh, Scott is going to help us out with our social media. I didn't check beforehand if he wants us to use his last name or not so for now he's just scott just scott and yeah then, uh, but he's gonna be uh hopefully doing a better job than eric right? which is a low bar to clear <laughs> yeah which is like oh shit i guess you post something yeah with our social media but but look for his new and unique voice and we're gonna let him run wild he can do whatever the fuck he wants whatever to. he wants um but yeah uh the last thing I'll say that we've been saying again recently, but I got to remind you guys, if you listen to this show and you haven't done this yet, please, 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 for the love of all that is unholy, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so we can just get seeded out by the algorithm to more listeners. It would be a wonderful gift to us. And as always, Sheriff, death has come to your little town.